I really hope you feel encouraged that you're part of a church family that acknowledges who you are and what you do. We're moving on in our Genesis series. Uh, we've come to speak of Abraham today. Uh, initially, of course, we talk of Abram. Before I get there, I want to tell you a story of a couple of friends who were Christians in high school who make an agreement. I want to call it a covenant. Uh, so they decide that whatever happens in their life, once they study and begin working, that they will always tithe 10% of what they earn. And uh, after a gap year, the, uh, one of them goes into some theological training and eventually becomes a pastor after a number of years. The other one goes to university, learns business law, and he goes into finance. Uh, so we advance at 10 years. And the preacher's earning the, the normal kind of income for a preacher, which is massive, as you know. And um, <laughs> there's not so many preachers here, right? <laughs> and uh, that's, so he tithes his 10%. And the banker, he's only making 90000 after his first five, seven years. But he's also tithing. We advance it to two... Uh, 20 years on, uh, the banker is now making 250000 and uh, he's tithing 25000 a year. Uh, the preacher has got CPI increases, so he's still tithing his 10%. Advance of 25 years, and old mate, the banker, he's, uh, he's running at a million dollars per annum. The preacher's still getting his CPI increases. So the banker says, can't afford this 100 grand a year. This is crazy. So he makes an appointment with his preacher friend. He gets into the office. The two of them are starting to chat, small talk for a little bit, and then the banker says, mate, can you pray or can you do something that will release me out of this tithing thing because it's costing me 100 grand a year? I was doing okay when I was tithing 25,000, but... This hundred grand plus is breaking me. So the preacher gets down on his knees and he starts to pray. And after about 10 minutes, banker man says, hey, are you onto it? Like, what are you, what are you doing? And he says, don't, don't panic, it's all right. Give me a few more minutes. And he continues to pray. Banker man's a bit, bit on edge and says, are you actually praying that I don't have to spend $100,000 on the church and it's stuff. I'm, I'm earning a million, that's a hundred thousand it's costing me. And the banker says, no, 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 no problem, mate. I'm getting you back to 25,000. I'm asking the Lord to take you back to 250. Life is always relevant. Life will always take us in different directions. Not sure Abram knew that life was going to take him in the direction that God led him. So this morning I want to start with what is covenant? What is this agreement that God makes with people? And a covenant in its most general sense and historical sense is a solemn promise 
to engage in or refrain from a specified action. It's a binding agreement. That's how it's defined in legal thinking. But this is a spiritual covenant. So covenantal theology runs right through the Old Testament and it also runs in our day now in New Testament times. It's solidly embedded in Genesis. We're first introduced to the idea of God giving himself in promises through a covenant with Noah. And I'd argue that though uh, there's a covenant before Noah in the garden between God and Adam and Eve. Maybe more on that a bit later. But I love how these promises of salvation are evident throughout and consistently point to God's love and faithfulness. The first time we see the language is in Genesis 6 and 18 when God tells Noah of his intentions to destroy the world by flood and that Noah and his family had found favour with God and they would be, and here's the key word, they would be saved. God had a covenant of salvation for Noah and his family. Covenant and salvation go hand in hand with God in all of his promises. God, in his revelation of creation, makes himself known as the creator. And the highlight comes as he he creates his image bearers. When he puts Adam on the earth and he creates Eve out of Adam. He desired to keep man and woman in a close relationship with himself And the plan was that they would mirror or reflect and represent him and his love. So as image bearers, we worship the creator and we reflect his goodness to all creation. There's a purpose in the relationship that God ordained to have with people. So as image bearers, they would maintain an intimate and obedient fellowship with the creator all the while worshipping him and giving him glory. That is our purpose in life. I believe that the seventh day Sabbath was set aside to enhance this and to give us purpose and time to reflect. Humanity was to be fruitful, to multiply and fill the earth and it was going to be achieved by establishing families And a man was to leave his parents and cleave to his wife. And as we learnt a couple of weeks ago, then sin comes in. So there's a distortion in the plan. And God has this ongoing relational connection, somewhat disrupted relationship, through to Noah and the flood. And then after the flood, cleansing the earth, God proclaims his grace, essentially giving us another chance. Noah, the original covenant man, worshipped and he built an altar and he sacrificed. Here comes back to worship. God responded to Noah's worship and determined to continue his relationship with the world and we see that all through Genesis 8 and 9. Now Pierre took us through this brilliantly last week. Check it out online if you haven't already. Last week's sermon fills in a lot of the gaps. But the main idea here is that there's a clear intent in the heart of God for a very agreeable relationship between God and people. That's what covenant 
thinking covenant theology really is all about. And to this stage, people have constantly disappointed. The creation covenant is revisited with the Noah environment. After the flood coming up out of the ark, there's a restoration of the creation covenant with people in Genesis 9. This is God's grace in action. So covenant thinking, relational thinking, connectedness between God and man is a grace story. It exposes the grace of God. It brings a clear intentionality and purpose in what God intended to do originally and continues to intend to do, continues to have action that supports what he promises. So God gives assurance to Noah and his sons that the covenant relationship would continue. So we understand that our creating sovereign God has a succession plan. And this is how he will pass this covenantal relationship to people of all generations. And it launches with a special interaction with a famous Old Testament character known initially as Abram. And this is massive. This is massive in our whole understanding of biblical theology. It's the biggest sea change in world history. God makes significant promises. He makes prom promises of spiritual well-being, uh, the making of a great nation from Abram, making him famous and using him as a channel of blessing to all peoples throughout all time. So God's intent was launched uh, after the flood and with Abram in this absolute covenant agreement that says, I promise to look after you. I promise that you will be my people. Adding to that significant list of blessings, the absolute assurance that a curse would be upon despisers and rejectors of Abram and his sovereign God. I think to understand this covenant theology, it's, it's new language and it has to be read in line with the original intentionality of God in creation. You can't sort of say time has moved on, God's got a different idea, uh, here's God's new idea. God always had the idea for relationship. That was always his purpose and his intention. So it hasn't been that God's kind of moved on, it's that God re-engages with the original plan of salvation. The process is that people are to be image bearers, to reflect and represent God, to worship him, and bear his nature. And so God covenants with Abram with the same intent, and it's for also his descendants who would be image bearers of our sovereign God. So we have like a covenant ratification ceremony in a vision that Abram gets in Genesis 15. He falls asleep, God speaks to him, in which the blessing of peace for Abram, a curse of punishment on those coming against him and his family, is all made known to Abram in Genesis 15. This is God's plan 
for salvation. And I, I need to remind you that salvation or being saved is really about returning to be in the relationship that God purposed you to have with him. So it's not so much about us. Uh, salvation is about us being able to do what God's intentionality for us was always to do, to be restored back to God's original intention of reflecting his love and goodness as an image bearer. The covenants God made with his selected leaders were always about restoring and actively making it possible for people to live in a manner that was like, and here we have it, it was like walking in the garden with God. Back to how he designed it to be. God's original intent to be in covenantal relationship with people. So not so much, not so much about what we get, it's about whom we become. Isn't that beautiful? Salvation isn't so much about what we get, it's about whom we become and the reality that's placed for us. I just want to cover this uh, Genesis 15 again with some clear understanding of covenantal elements or what God promised to Abram. So Yahweh or God's sovereign presence was going to be with him. Reflection of the garden. Abram's assured prosperous future. Go forth and multiply. Continu continuity through much seed or the blessing of descendants, lots of children, a place to live and serve in the midst of the nations, a curse on opponents and the response of faith and blessing. It seems to me that Genesis is all about God and his created people living in an ordered way that glorifies God. So God creates a perfect environment for people, then people disobey and perfection's distorted and we've got lots of accounts of people messing up and continued distortion and God remains faithful and comes back with a promise. Isn't that beautiful? When you see the story unfolding, wow, what a gracious God we serve. He provides another opportunity. He shows grace and restoration which is soon broken down again by man's distortive behaviour until we get this covenant language and God entering into a loving covenant that provides for the prospering and the amazing well-being of Abram and his descendants. He gives peace, opportunity, resources, grace and yet they still had to work. That's an important aspect and we've actually declared that too this morning. They still had to work. I couldn't just sit down all day. And as we continue, we see that all of this points towards the new covenant. The new covenant, which is in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So the promise looks towards, the promise looks to the person of Jesus Covenant language initiates God's plan to reveal the very Son of God in the flesh. 
and we have his story in the Gospels. So this process continues, even though Abram disappoints. It follows the creational covenant because God is consistent and ordered and the pattern for relationship remains all the way through. All of God's covenantal promises are in alignment. They are ordered with his purpose for a relational commitment for us to be his image bearers. Yahweh presents himself as an invincible, powerful and exalted God. He presents himself as he is. God clarifies the big idea of the covenant by saying, walk before God, walk before me. Remain in constant, everyday spiritual fellowship with me. It's restorative. It looks back to the garden, doesn't it? To our original design to be reflectors of love and grace and kindness, fruits of the Spirit, and be blameless. Live uprightly according to God's will amongst one another and the communities that we live in. In all of this language, the stipulations provide an insight that God is also aware of Abram's potential failures, likely failures, evidential failures. God's aware of his weaknesses. He's very aware of Abram's lack of faith and obedience. In Genesis 17, we see Abram sins spiritually and socially, but Yahweh graciously confirms his covenant with Abram. And the verb used in the Hebrews is give. The continuity of the covenant with Abram was a gift of God's grace. God continually gives of himself. Abram responded in verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 3, in humility and worship. It's almost like uh, Abram's found out and his response is, oh God, I'm so sorry. And he worships. And then the covenantal thinking and theology and reality just floods into him again. Strongly affirmed by the change in his name to Abraham. So after Babel, the areas that uh, Pierre covered last week, after Babel uh, and the scattering of language, it's scattered, but now it's ordered back into structured society. And the assurance that the covenant with his offspring was for all time and in a place of prosperity. The loving covenantal bond between Yahweh and Abraham and all of Abraham's children are strongly affirmed by the promise to be your God and the God of your descendants. I will be your God. Verse 1 of Genesis 17, El Shaddai, God Almighty. God Almighty was proclaiming that he would be with them. It included the gift of the land known as Canaan in verse 8, which today encompasses 
Israel, the West Bank, Gaza, Jordan, southern parts of Syria and Lebanon. Abraham's probably one of the most important characters in all of history and in context for the day becomes this landowner who is the most prosperous person. I think it's interesting that all three monotheistic religions, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, revere him as the father of their faith. National Geographic magazine credits Abraham with the idea of monotheism, that the belief in one God rather than uh, the belief of many gods. Those are things that have been picked up because of the accuracy and the understanding and the uh, uh, verbal uh, passing down of truth from generation to generation that it's not just Christianity and the scriptures that acknowledge Abraham and the story of covenant. It's throughout history because it happened. The Bible just brings us the accurate record of it. Amen? So people across nations, not so much here in Australia, it's not our speak. Uh, We don't have that spiritual understanding. But across nations where there has been uh, traditional understandings of history, Abraham is revered. Well, what we see in Genesis is not that Abraham came up with these ideas. We see that God showed him the truth and revealed these promises. I believe that God was continuing to exercise grace. And in the New Testament... I want to go here to Hebrews chapter 6 because I believe this is helpful. It says, don't grow weary or don't get tired or lazy in continuing on, but instead imitate those who through faith and patience have inherited the promises. Of course, he's talking about Abraham. He's saying imitate Abraham, trust God, have faith in God. Wait for your promise patiently. The writer of Hebrews is clear in chapter 6 and verse 18. He's looking towards Jesus and he's drawing the parallel of the promises to look to the promised one who is coming. He's the one who has to keep the promise. God is the one who has to keep the promise. Look to God. He's entered into covenant with himself to ensure your salvation. It's a blood covenant. And the blood that was shed was the blood of his own son, Jesus. And in Hebrews 6.18, I love this connection to covenant theology. It's saying that because God has sworn by himself and because God has entered into covenant with himself, we who have fled to the refuge of his son can have strong consolation. We can have steadfast assurance. We can know without the shadow of a doubt that we have a hope that is firm and secure. Isn't that amazing? Any old boys brigaders here? Girls brigaders will know it too, but Hebrews 6.19. Sure and steadfast. It's an anchor for your soul. And that's why Jesus says in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. 
following Jesus, reaching people. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. These are promises. It's covenantal thinking. It's covenantal theology. And when God promises, he puts his word on the line. Now, even in my thinking, if I make a promise, I, well, I'm not going to say very likely because that's not my intent, but it's possible that I would not keep that promise. I might forget. I might have uh, other things to do on the particular day that I'd promised. I, I might have a double booking. God cannot break his promise because he's God. He doesn't have double bookings. So when he promises that Jesus will come, when the Messiah will come, what happened? The Messiah came. True to that? He is true to his promises. And here in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is saying, you can look back and you can look forward, but God is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow, and he will keep his promises. Isn't that beautiful? Those whom I know will follow me and they will reach people. The ultimate culmination of the Genesis covenant theology is the promised plan of God for salvation. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from, finish it for me, the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. So clear, isn't it? Oh, I, I love the Saviour. I love the truth. There's joy in being set free by the truth, isn't there? So today when someone asks the question like Abram, today when someone says to God, how will I know? His answer isn't to give them a vision. Instead, he points us all to look at the cross. How will I know? Because Jesus fulfilled the promise. And God, I believe, would say, look who hangs on the cross. Look who it is that is the sacrifice. Look at him. He tells us to look at the Lamb of God and he tells us that because he could swear by no greater name, he swore by his own name. He promised in his own name. For there is... One God and one mediator between God and man, and that is the person of Jesus. Hebrews 9.15, and this is the reason he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. I know I'm called, and my internal inheritance is secure in the promise of the one to whom I am committed, to the one to whom I trust. 
to Jesus, who is my Saviour and my Lord. And on another day, it would be good to talk about what it is to have Jesus as Lord, as, to have Jesus as Master, that every decision I make at work or at play might best be made the right way because the one who is the right way is with me anyway and knows the decision that I make. So best that I make a good and right decision. And, and that's my simple thinking of what it is to have Jesus as Lord, that I would choose his way above any option. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that it doesn't depend on me. Thank you, Lord, that it doesn't depend on us. That it's his promise and he sustains his promise. Would you stand with me for prayer? Father, we acknowledge that you are Lord, that you are master, that you are the covenantal God. You are the one who promises and uh, promises in your own name. So we know as Christians, as people of faith, we know that you will fulfill all of your promises and, and not kind of just drip feed it and... Um, you know, leave it in a bucket somewhere, but that you overflow constantly with your love and your grace and your forgiveness and that we can look constantly and uh, with a joyful heart at the provisions that you've given to us so that we can live to glorify your name. We can worship you and we can glorify the Son of God. We know, Lord, that you have given us all these provisions out of a heart that is all about relationship, that you want us to bear your image, that you want us to show your love, that you want us to bring kindness and restoration to our world, that you want us to restore relationships everywhere. And we thank you for the interventionists all over the globe, the people who go in Jesus' name with restorative kindness, with restorative intentionality, and they take the nature of God into difficult circumstances. Lord, may we go wherever you call us to go in order that we would uphold the great provisions of God as we carry the truth of the gospel to those who don't already know. Uh, we want to pray for Tim and Mel who return to Malawi soon. Lord, that they take a restorative, caring, loving, but biblical and declaring nature with them that uh, above all that they can do, is the purpose of salvation, that men and women and children in Malawi would come to know the person of Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. We pray this for all of our work, for all of our uh, leisure, that we would all carry the nature of God with us this day until Jesus comes again. We pray in the Saviour's name. Amen.